What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the fifth installment of The Bright Side. My name is Joshua Bright, and I'll be driving you down this highway of positivity for the next hour. I'm joined by Mr. High and Wide himself, Jim. Jim, how are we feeling? Doing good, man. I'm excited. It's, uh, it feels like it's been a little while since it's been me and you, so looking forward to a good show. Yeah, it's nice to talk mano e mano again and talk about the Flyers more than we're talking about New York or Montreal. So yeah. that's a positive. Um, it is a positive. To start right out, I kind of want to get into the season, and it didn't end the way we wanted it to. You know, we're one game away from the Eastern, Con- Eastern Conference Finals. I want to get your opinion on this season, you know, how you are feeling at the stoppage, you know, being one of the hottest teams in hockey, to how we're feeling now. So, you know, what, what's your opinion on the past few months? So... Leading up to everything, I mean, the Flyers were the hottest team in the league, right, man? Like, uh, I'm sure there was a lot of us out there, but I I was kind of on board with this team since maybe end of January, beginning of February. You know, what I look for in a growing team is a team that's, that steadily increases its uh, its style of play. And throughout the course of the year, the Flyers were getting better and better. And it seemed like they were like clicking at the right time, you know, like 10, 15 games left in the season. They're on a nine-game winning streak, beating all the best teams, uh, a point out of first place when that when stoppage uh, came. I think they were 69 games in. Uh, you can't tell me otherwise. They were going to win the Metro this year. I absolutely 100% think they were going to win it. Uh, that would have guaranteed them, what, a top two spot, right? Yeah, I don't think they would have touched Tampa or Boston, but I, oh, I, yeah. they would have been first in the Metro for sure. And given the given the seating that it would have been had this the league not stopped, you know, you're playing the second wild card team. Yep. Which, for all yeah. we know, would have been the Islanders. Yeah, man. But here's the thing. So, and this is what I find really interesting. And I don't want to talk about the Islanders too much. We kind of talked about them at, at nauseum last time, but um, the Islanders since the trade deadline, they hadn't won a game. So when play stopped. They were basically dead in the water. They couldn't get their their stuff together. Uh, play resumes. Their their team's back healthy. You know, Pajot gets in the mix, and here they are in the Eastern Conference Finals. I feel like the opposite happened for the Flyers, and it was such a shame because it's kind of like what we all predicted. Oh my God! Like they're on fire. The stoppage comes. Hopefully, they can regain the magic through the round robin. It looked like it was there, and then I don't know what the heck happened, man. Uh, they just didn't seem to have the same juice. Uh, now there's a lot of factors that, you know, you're hearing from different people, different, uh, you know, people in the media and whatnot that factored into the play, but they just didn't look the same. What do you think? Uh, I'd have to agree. And I tried to look at this from a broad scope and, you know, this was basically coming into a new season. You know, you have four months off, you know, the vets aren't at their level. The young kids are a little bit more energized. And I think you saw that in the Montreal series when, you know, Nick Suzuki and Kakaniemi were the players stepping up for Montreal. It was never in those playoffs that I think the Flyers look how they did at the end of the uh, the end of the right before the stoppage. But I think. I didn't see this team any differently. I still saw them as, you know, a team that could make a run. I still saw them as a deeper team than any team they played in the playoffs. It's unfortunate, but, you know, the top guys never got going. And I wanted to kind of delve deep into some of the factors that you touched on. Uh, Some of them being the Sanheim-Myers pairing and then Travis Konechny. So you had a tweet about Travis Konechny, and we're going to get to that because I really want to speak about it. But (laughs) let's talk about his playoffs. So what did you see from Konechny that you liked and didn't like? So what I like about Konechny is I like his, I don't even know if you want to call it grittiness, but I like that he likes to mix it up. You know, he gets involved in the game emotionally, which I think is important. We know he can score goals. We see it during the regular season. We know he can, he can skate, he can move. Um, I haven't seen that same Travis Konechny throughout the course of these playoffs. Now, I understand I remember he took the puck off the skate early in uh, it was either Montreal or in the round robin. So I understand that he, he potentially could have been playing injured. And that absolutely factors in. I just saw a different player. And we didn't really, at least for me, didn't see uh, the, the feisty, fiery TK until maybe four games left in the, in the playoffs there. He just went missing for me. Yeah, he made some plays. 
in those uh, games two through six in the Islanders where I kind of thought, all right, he's getting a little bit of his mojo back. Yeah, so did I. Uh, you know, in the Montreal series, I never thought I saw Konechny the way I saw him in the season. Um, I believe it was game two, the first game we'd won in overtime, where I saw Konechny make a real quick pivot entering the offensive zone and just blew past a defender for a shot. And at, in the playoffs, you have to be playing with that energy for 60 minutes in the, in the, uh, in the you know, regulation. And I didn't yeah. see that from Konechny. Now, maybe that's a foot injury. Maybe that's he's not ready for the speed of the playoffs. Maybe the Islanders D gave him fits. It's tough to say what it was, but I definitely didn't see, you know, the snarl from connecting that you even saw two years ago in that Pittsburgh series. You know, he was electric in that series. And yeah, I thought he played pretty well for a rookie. Yeah. But yeah, connecting didn't really give me what I wanted, but it's important to highlight. He's still 23 years old. You know, he's got a long time to grow. He was the Flyers MVP this season. He's the guy that we're going to start relying on for offense because Drew and Voracek aren't going to be those guys moving forward. Yeah. So, you know, TK's got to step up and, uh, I Trent. love that you said that. Yeah, that's that's because, how it's got to be. Like the uh, so how the I guess how our fans are, and you know how even we are. We talk big guns, names like Jeru Vorchek, JVR even come come to mind because they're making the big bucks. But like this is kind of, and I've been kind of trying to push this a little bit. It's Coots's team, and it needs to kind of feel like TK's team now. These guys. TK can't feel like a passenger to me, you know, like he's the young, you talk, you brought up young kids, Barz, I'm sorry, uh, you brought up Suzuki, Kakanyemi, like these guys showed up against the Flyers, you know, the young kids showed up, um, the New York series, you got Barzal, you got Beauvillier, their young guys showed up against the Flyers, our young guys didn't really show, you know, we're, I mean, we're talking about Jeru Voracek, JVR, but where'd Konechny go? Like Sandheim, you mentioned Sandheim. Sandheim didn't have a great series. Uh, guy like Myers, I can give a pass because he's a rookie. And I, I thought he played fairly well at times. But the two Travises, I was like really kind of disappointed in. Yeah, and you know, transitioning to Myers and Sandheim, I thought they had an unbelievable first round against Montreal. That, uh, that series really played to their strengths. You know, a small, fast team who's going to try and forecheck you hard, but they're not hitting very well. You know, they're not... They're not able to knock you off the puck as easy because they're not that dominant on the forecheck. I thought Sandheim and Myers had a good series then, but you could tell that New York game plan zeroed in on their weaknesses. And Sandheim had a very frustrating, very frustrating series. And as much as I've been a proponent of the guy, and I think he's going to be a top two defenseman in this league, Phil Myers had a rough series. He did. And I, you know, next year, if that playoff series happens again, I think they'll be better prepared for it. But oh yeah, there's there are two six foot five guys who showed no snarl in front of the net and no willingness to get involved physically and win a puck battle, yep. and that that was definitely my biggest issue in these playoffs. You know, I think the biggest issue for the entire Philadelphia team was breaking out of their own zone defensively, and that starts with your mobile defensemen, and they yep. weren't that. You know, outside of Provorov, no one's moving that puck up quick enough. I agree, dude. You hit the nail on the head. And if you're the Islanders, I mean, you know how you're going to play against these these kids because, I mean, that's what they are. All you got to you pressure the puck, you force them to make mistakes, and they did that like all series long. You know, uh, there's one play that stands out in my mind for Myers where uh, I can't recall the Islander that was kind of getting in his face the beginning of Game Six. I want to say it was, and Myers wasn't having it. You know, he was giving it right back to whoever the Islander player was, and that was the first time I saw any pushback from the Flyers. And that means something. That puts a little shred of doubt in the opposition mind that, okay, this team's not going to just roll over. Like, they're going to they're gonna give us a fight. And I didn't see that from a lot of the Flyers players. So when I saw that from Myers, I'm like, okay, he, he gets it. You know, he's still a kid. He gets it. He's young. He's probably a little timid. Uh, he's 6'5", but, he, you know, he's got to grow into his body a little bit. So... What I like about these guys, I'm going to put the positive spin. You already mentioned they're they're both young and they have a, you know, another year to grow. Uh, they have Myers gets his first playoff series uh, season under his belt. I think this is Sandheim's second. I'm looking forward to this to this pairing. Or even if Myers gets moved up to the top line with Provi next year, I mean, big things out of those three guys, and they're going to need it. 
Yeah, I don't know if uh, if Sandheim's ever going to have the type of snarl that I think Myers is capable of. I was listening to Charlie O'Connor talk a bit about what he likes from Myers and what he didn't like. And he, he highlighted a cross-check that Myers gave to a Canadian's face during the first round. I mean, obviously, it was a dumb penalty. But yeah. you didn't see much of that in that series. And if you watch Game 2 of Tampa and New York, there was a fight. There was so there was a scrum after every whistle. There was someone in their goaltender's face every game. You didn't see that in Philly, New York. There was not mm. a lot of hostility in that series. There were some absolutely grueling hits. You know, Niskanen took Ross Johnson's head off in game one. Yep. And I didn't see it. I don't believe there was a fight in that series. I don't believe there were many puck battles that led to scrums in that series. I just don't think the intensity was there. And whether that's because they're in a bubble with no fans or they don't feel like this is actual hockey, you know, shout out to yeah. Barras. I just I didn't see that <laughs> snarl in the game, and that's I missed that, you know. Yeah, I hear you, hundred percent. I kind of we were talking about TK, and the thought did come into my mind. You know, he's a, an energy guy; he feeds off the crowd and whatnot. And I'm wondering if the lack of crowd played a, a role in his play. And it's a it's a poor excuse, but certain players need that. You know, they need that little bit of juice. I thought I thought that was going to impact Kevin Hayes big time because he's a he's a Joel Embiid type where he feeds yeah. off the crowd's positivity. But he was the only fucking flyer that showed up in the playoffs, so it, it clearly didn't affect him. And with Konechny, I thought the moment he uh, gave Letty the buck teeth, that was the moment he was going to break out. I thought that was the moment where TK was feeling it again, and so you know he I. was ready to break out of it. But unfortunately, we never saw it out of Konechny. So did I, yeah. Um... So uh, you mentioned a couple uh, of tweets. So I know that he's a fan favorite in Philly. Uh, so some of my tweets were like a little bit facetious, like ill humor, you know. <laughs> you but know at the same time, it's like, wait a second here. I know that this kid, I know that he's a cool cat. Like, he, you know, he likes to talk shit and he gets the, everything stirred up and he's a funny dude. But he's making five plus million dollars, just signed a fresh new contract and he scored zero goals in 16 games. I'm not the one being negative. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't score any goals. Yeah, so, no, like, it's, it's it's time for connecting to drive the boat. Uh, I, yes. I get that completely. He didn't he didn't take the reins like Barzal or Bavillier. I'm not going to compare him to Barzal, but I'll compare him to Bavillier, sure, because sure. Konechny's a better hockey player than Bavillier. You got to show up in these playoffs. And I think he did in terms of playmaking, but I didn't see him on his typical, you know, a one-on-one rush and he's coming up the right side and taking that hard snapper that he's, you know, he's yeah. so used to scoring on. I didn't see that from Konechny. And am I going to blame an injury or am I going to blame, you know, unpreparedness for a playoff? Am I going to blame a really weird situation because of COVID? I don't know, yeah. but I, I, I expect to never see this from Konechny again fully. I hope so. Uh, uh, like I said, I, I still like Konechny. I, so I feel like when I mentioned TK, Obviously, I knew I was going to get a lot of negative responses, but I, I never advocated to trade him or this and that. I just I have more questions about TK than I did be uh, post bubble than I did pre bubble. You know what I mean? And so, what I would like to see is for TK answer the questions. Go like make the playoffs next year. Put I'm not asking him to light the world on fire, but be involved. You know, put put a couple pucks in the back of the net. I think he's going to be 24 next season. Yeah, like it's time to get going. Like guys like Claude Giroux, uh, Mike Richards, and I know it's t- it's not really fair to compare TK to those two players, but in their age 23 seasons, they were they were tearing it up in the playoffs, man. You know, so I'm just trying not to give TK a, a pass here. That's all. No, you have to hold these guys accountable if they're playing in the top six and. You know, even if you want to highlight Joel Farabee's kind of insignificance in the playoffs, like, sure, he's a 19-year-old rookie, but he's also playing in the top six. You know, if they're in your top six, you're allowed to critique them because they need to be driving the offense every game. I agree. Not a guy except for Hayes and Voracek were consistently driving the offense. That's a good point. Yeah, if you're in the top six, and you you know, be prepared, man. Put the puck in the net or you're going to hear it. Yeah, speaking of of putting the puck in the net, um, I feel we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the special teams. Oh, yeah, that power play. because <laughs> I think if that power plays mediocre, we're talking about a completely different playoff series. I think we're talking about game game three, looking forward to Philly Tampa, because there is nothing going on in that power play. There was some decent puck movement at times, but the zone entry was awful. No one's feet were moving. Everyone's just kind of standing still waiting for the perfect pass. And 
you know, Chuck Fletcher brought up some conversation about it. And, you know, him and Elaine both said they're going to reserve comments for now and wait till the offseason. Now, whether that's switching up the system or getting rid of Tarion, you know, that, that leaves a lot of questions to be asked. That's, uh, that's really interesting. Um, so obviously, the, the scapegoat is Michelle Tarion, I guess, right? You can it, go right to him. The coaches are always a scapegoat when the players aren't performing, but Michelle Tarion's not going to stand in front of the net and put the puck in the net. I love that you said that, man. Because uh, that was like the easiest thing to do that night off. Even I said it. Like, how can Michelle Tarion come back next year? Uh, but yeah, I mean, you saw it in the first game, Tampa Bay against the Islanders. The first two or three goals they scored, I think it was Hedman and McDonough just you know, subtle, I mean, subtle bombs from the points or from the, from the, from the half wall. And they had a guy screening, uh, who was it? Grice that started the game. Uh, I think Grice it was, I think started it, game one and Varlamov started game two. Okay. Yeah. So they had a big body. I want to say Patrick Maroon, you know, screening the goalie and Hedman and McDonough were just launching bombs. And noticeably they had a lot more space at the point than a guy like Provorov or Niskin had ever had, you know, there was so much space because those forwards created it for them. Oh my God, that's such a good point. Yeah, everyone's kind of stagnant. Yeah, they got to move around a little bit. Move. They got to create space. And I, I would say this. So I never really lost. And this is a little bit off topic. I never really lost faith in a guy like JVR. I think he has the offensive ability. Like he needs. A, he needs to play with a certain type of player, and that player's not currently on the Flyers roster. He needs some. He needs somebody to create space for him. You know what I mean? And so I think that's a lot of the issue on this power play, especially with the way the Islanders, you know, play their PK and, and their defense. They're going to pressure pucks, you know, from all from all areas. And if you're not moving, you're screwed. Yeah, um, it's it's been tough trying to find a place for JVR in the lineup. Even in Toronto, you know, they kind of threw him on the third line. They didn't look for him to really produce at five on five. They just knew once the power play came, he was going to stand in front. And he was going to find loose pucks and find tips. Yep, but. You're right. There's not really a uh, a perfect line match that I could say that JVR would go with. You know, ideally he's with Close Giroux and Travis Konechny because yeah. those are the only guys that can make space and yeah. you know find JVR on rushes. But I never I never really felt the need to harp on JVR too much because you know he does his job well enough. Yeah. I think he had by the metrics one of his best seasons as a hockey player in terms of you know five on five. In terms of you know back checking, being a two hundred foot player, I think this was his best season. But of course, the numbers were down because our power play never found consistency. Nope. I actually enjoyed watching him the last couple games of the Islander series. I'm like, holy crap! I haven't seen JVR move his legs like this in a since uh, play resumed, I guess. But you're right, and a lot of people were saying that as well. He played he was he played very well defensively this year, which is which is great. Um, don't tell anybody, but I secretly hope that he's he's with this team next year. And they figure out a way to get him gone because I, I he's a he could be a perennial thirty goal scorer, you know. So I, it'd be a shame if he if they moved him and matched him with somebody and he's out there scoring thirty goals and fifteen power play goals, whatever it is. Because uh, yeah, I I think they can make him work. That's interesting you said that because uh, coming into this off season with a flat cap and a team that's that's right up on it, I think they really only have two options for cap space, and that's moving James Van Riemsdyk or moving Shangasa Bear and. If you move one of those players, you have to understand that they're going to be put in a much better position than they are now. And they're going to make, they're going to make you bite it. Like they're going to make you eat your words when, you know, you're trading ghosts for a second round pick. And, you know, he ends up on a team that's able to put him in the top four and on the first power play. I guarantee you he's putting up similar numbers to we did two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel the same way. And, I think I may have even said it on a show. If he scores 40, 45 points, close to 50, like, so be it. He's not going to get the time here. It's just not going to happen for Gossespierre. Um And in the same vein, if that happens with JVR, because yeah, let's say he goes to a team, and I'm just going to throw a team out there just because I think he would fit. Let's say he goes to Phoenix, you know, playing with Phil Kessel, uh, Clayton Keller. Uh, who's I heard some of the centers they got there? Best Phil Kessel impression, so I think they would be lovely in the locker room. <laughs> oh my god, could you imagine? Uh, Shout out to uh, Dean Nasty there. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. So uh, I don't know. It'd be a shame, but it'd be necessary because uh, of the guys coming up, and they have to sign guys like Myers. Uh, Sandheim's going to be up again next after next season. 
There's going to be guys for like, Carter Hart's going to be up. There's going to be guys that got to pay and guys that we want to see here long term. So unfortunately, you know, with the flat cap, with the flat cap, they're going to have to um, move at least one of those guys. Yeah, I've been repressing this thought for a while, but um, what do you think Carter Hart's extension looks like? Oof. I've been scared to answer that question myself. You know, do you lock him up? Do you give him that? See, uh, the first thought that I had in my mind when I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? Just get it out of the way. Like eight million or ten years, whatever. And the first guy I thought of was Rick DiPietro. <laughs> Remember what happened with him? Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? Give him I the. Think, I don't think Hart's bones are that brittle, but <laughs> yeah, I could definitely understand where the skepticism is there. I'm like, give him five, six million over five or six years, you know? Because he's, what, yeah. 22? He'll be, he'll be 27 by the end of that. So that's usually when you get your second contract and then pay him one more time. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's it's the normal case of, you know, let's see how you perform in the next few years. I think it's a, he's your best player right now. He proved that in the playoffs. Now you got to open up the bank and hand him an open check. Like, his contract's going to be hefty. It might be, it might be Carey Price-esque. You know, yeah. he's going to get fucking paid and he's, be worth he's every serving. penny, man. Yeah, he's going to be worth every single penny. And I think the most frustrating thing for me during these playoffs is you're not always going to get outstanding goaltending performances like you did with Carter Hart. You know, maybe he comes in every playoffs and is the best player like he was this series. But it's frustrating to have wasted a phenomenal performance that that Hart gave you because that we never look like the better team in a game. And Hart was the better goaltender in every game they played. I, it's a, he's the reason that they went to game seven of round two, Carter Hart. Without Carter Hart, they're potentially swept. Maybe they lose four to one. I don't even know if they get out of the uh, Montreal series without Carter Hart. Um, and that's saying a lot because that was the 24th ranked team. Uh, yeah, Carter Hart, phenomenal, man. So I've been kind of harping on, you know, this Flyers team. And you can tell me if you disagree. Uh, they they kind of lack a star, and I'm kind of like, well, wait a second, because they got Carter Hart, like blossoming star, and I feel like it's, or maybe it's rare for Philly to think we have a star goaltender. You know what I mean? <laughs> what world are we living in? Yeah, so it's like, whoa, wait a second, we do have a star. He's in the freaking goal. So um, I'm excited. I I've never. I'm just stoked for Carter Hart, and we saw through uh, how many games did they play? Seven, thirteen games how a goalie can keep you in a game and even steal you games. I think they got outshot like 55 to 25 or something in game six. And they won, what was it, 5-4 in overtime? Yeah. That's because of Carter Hart. Like, are you kidding me? Mm. And, and on the flip side, we saw what it's like. We were, the, we were the other team for once. The Islanders, I think before the game, they weren't sure if they were going to start Varlamov or Grice. I believe they went with Varlamov and he gave up four shot, four goals on 16 shots. Like, that used to be us, you know? <laughs> and it's not anymore. So that's pretty cool on the bright side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's weird in Philadelphia not having, like, a bona fide superstar forward or defenseman. Yeah. Uh, I think it's kind of by committee. You know, when I get asked a lot by uh, – I have a lot of friends who are, like, huge. They're kind of uh, – fair weather hockey fans you know they just uh, you know why isn't drew showing up he's the captain you know why is it connecting scoring yeah. all those those lines and i always compared this philly t- team to how the rangers were built in 2014 and currently how the vegas knights are built now you know i don't think i look at vegas and see a superstar you know i see a lot of guys pitching in by committee you know if you look at the roster right now jonathan marshall is barely scored william carlson's barely scored Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty in the last five games haven't done a whole much, a whole lot. You know, they just had solid goaltending and a good system in place. And I think that's what I compare this team to the most. You know, Carter Hart is a superstar. I can say confidently he is a superstar in this league right now. But their offense and defense aren't built that way. And they're not finishing low enough in a draft to, to obtain a superstar. Or they don't have the money in free agency to sign a superstar. So... I think it's going to be a little bit by committee for the next five, seven years. You know, I think you're, you're anchored by Provorov. He's the, your best defenseman, and he's the closest thing you have to a star. And I'd say Travis Konechny, and if Frost pans out, you know, he, they're your closest options to a star. But moving forward, this team's going to have to get scoring from the top six and the bottom six and transitioning into the bottom six. I don't think a lot of those guys are going to be back. Uh, Chuck Fletcher was verbally disappointed with how they performed in the uh, Montreal and New York series. So who do you see coming back and who do you see walking in free agency? 
Yeah, I thought that was really interesting that he brought up the bottom six. I think he mentioned that they had two goals the entire playoffs there. And I guess as fans or people who watch the team, it it was kind of easy to overlook that because we were kind of waiting for the top six guys to score goals. Um, I, I think for sure Nate Thompson's not back. I hope everybody's happy. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't get the hate, man. Like, he was fine. Like, Yeah, he did his job. Great. He's there to be there. Like, yeah. He's not coming back. He he he's a, he was good in the faceoffs, and he did. Matt Barzell have a goal till game seven. I mean, Thompson was paired against him, and I don't think he's he scored till game seven. Yeah, he did he, a decent uh, enough job. Yeah, he he did a decent job. He's out there to win faceoffs, block shots, and you know if if you're in the other end with the puck, if you're in the offensive zone with the puck, that's bonus. Yeah, uh, it's whatever. I I appreciate players like that, and. You know, but I'm not going to go out of my way to, oh my God, Nate Thompson's a great fourth line player. But when I see see people getting on him for no reason, when um, you know Travis Konechny's got zero goals, it, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. You know what I mean? So I feel like I have to stick up for him a little bit. So having said that, I don't think he's going to be back. Uh, the elite power play, the elite number one forward center, <laughs> Derek Grant, I, I don't see coming back, which is a shame because. Before the stoppage, I was like, oh, man, they might have to make a decision. Like, they might have to bring him back here. I think he had, like, five points in seven games as a flyer in the regular season. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't think he's going to come back. He may he may get paid somewhere else. Or The Flyers have cheaper options. That's the, that's the issue, too, and the, the flat, uh, flat cap. Uh, Albie Kubel, I think, is an RFA. He's an interesting one because they have guys coming up. Uh, supposedly, if the Phantoms play— in Wade Allison and Tanner Lazinski. You just you hit a name that I can't wait to start talking about. Yeah, and Obi Kubel is kind of locking down a spot. You know, because yeah. if you think about it, the Flyers roster, there's not much room to make this team. You got Voracek, you got TK, and you got Farabee locking down right wing spots, you know, supposedly. And if Obi Kubel is going to get ice time, it's most likely going to be on that fourth line wing. I would assume maybe he bumps up to a, a third line wing, but I wonder how much he's gonna get paid because he's—I think he was making the minimum, like seven hundred thousand this year. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure entirely. Depends what he what he wants, I guess. If he gets a million, I'd be shocked. I I, I was looking at it today. I'm not sure Albeku Bell comes back, and it might bump some people out, but I'd be a little bit bummed. I enjoyed watching him play, but like I mentioned with Allison and Lazinski. There's some solid guys coming up. It might be a little bit cheaper. Even Linus Sandin, a guy that they went and got over the uh, stoppage from Sweden, I believe, or Finland. Mm-hmm. Playing in the SHL. Yep. What do yeah. you think? He's good. Um, I, If I were a betting man, I think I'd give you my next paycheck that Nicholas Albi Cabell is playing 82 games next year. Oh, okay. Know, depending health. I think he cemented his spot perfectly as a guy who fits AV system so well. You know, when they're playing that dump and chase game that they play and, uh, you know, retrieve pucks, cause havoc, create turnovers, hit their defensemen and start cycling. I think Nick Albee Cabell is the perfect bottom sixer for the Flyers. And I think he's going to gel with a lot of other players coming up that are going to fit that role. Now, in terms of the bottom six, like, yeah, Derek Grant's not coming back. Nate Thompson's not coming back. And if you can convince Tyler Pitlick to take a little bit of a pay cut, he's not coming. Unless you can do that, he's not coming back. But that's right. You know, you have Connor Bunneman, who I think he really solidified his uh, his role as a fourth line center. I think he's the perfect four C for me. You know, Wade Allison and Tanner Lachinsky. You know, you'll see how they do in camp. I'm very excited about Wade Allison. I've been a big fan of his for a while, but you know, you don't know that these guys are NHL ready yet until they show you in training camp. But you also have you know David Kasha, Maxim Shushko. Yeah, there's a bunch of guys that could be knocking on a door for a fourth line spot that are playing real well. You know, you still have Morgan Frost and Isaac Ratcliffe that, you know, Ratcliffe didn't have the best year, but those guys are top nine players that are going to be pushing too. You know, there's only so many spots, but maybe that's a great problem to have because, you know, maybe you can move JVR once Ratcliffe's ready, or maybe you can move a center and, you know, get Morgan Frost in there because, you know, the organization definitely views him as a center. Uh, this is a good problem to have, especially when there's a flat cap, because those minimum contracts come into play. You know, they're they're huge. And that's why teams like Pittsburgh are struggling to, you know, put out a competitive roster right now because they don't have that infusion of youth that we do. 
Yeah, that's great points. I, I really do hope you're right about uh, Albe Kupa. I loved watching him play. Uh, Bonneman, good good um, points bringing Bonneman up. Cause I love he, his game. He did I his job. Coming, but I love it. Yeah, he's, he's a big boy. I think he's only going to put on a couple more pounds. I think he's still uh, pretty young. I have to look up his age there. I want to say 22-ish. Uh, yeah, Bonneman's a, a fine candidate to play on the fourth line. Um, I don't know if uh, Raffle's going to be in the last year of his contract next year. I don't. I I, I like Michael Raffle. I don't know about you. Uh, no, he's he's the perfect Swiss Army knife type of yeah, player. He I played agree. on the second line and looked effective in the playoffs, or he can play on the fourth line and look effective. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's going to be interesting. There's going to be some changes for sure. I think. You know, I I forgot about Pitlick, and it's funny because even when we're talking about, you know, fourth line guys who might not be back next year, I forgot to mention Tyler Pitlick. I feel like I, you just I always forget to mention him whenever he does something well, or he's uh it's gonna be a shame to watch him go because he he played strong all. I feel like every game we were like, yeah, Pitlick had a good game. Yeah, he's a. Uh, I think if he didn't have the injury issues he had in Dallas and Edmonton, he he never would have been available for a trade because he's an effective fourth third line winger that can put up points you know his north south skating that's something the flyers lacked you know it, it's a it's an issue in a game six and a game seven when tyler pitlick's your best player but <laughs> you know that that's the strength he brought you know he's a fast skater that can break into the zone quick he has some creativity in his offense and you know he finds a way to you know move the puck and create turnovers i think i think he's an important piece that you should look to resign if you can but you know if he doesn't Luckily, you have some youth infusion to replace him, but you'd, you'd hate to see Pitlick walk. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what he's making this year. I want to say, is it a million? Was he making a flat it's million? It's a million flat, and that's what, I, that's what I hope he'll take again. Yeah, I wonder if the salary cap stuff is going to affect his decision there. Because you would think that he's due for some sort of a raise, but with everything going on, I wonder if that's going to be hard to get. Yeah, I would assume he's going to... It's really going to be tough to see how teams navigate this this flat cap until 2023 because there's there's so many good bottom six players that are going to look for a raise that aren't going to get it. Yep. And I think you're going to see teams like Tampa, Boston, Washington, Colorado, Dallas all struggle to keep important bottom six pieces because there's only so much money going around and you got to pay all you got to pay all 12 forwards. Interesting, very good point there. And that's why I'm happy, happy to be part of a team that drafts well. Yeah, very interesting point because the Flyers are kind of ready for that. You know, they're not going to necessarily, uh, and this is not an insult to Tyler Pitlick, but they're not going to lose anybody really uh, like essential to the roster because of this. You know, they're they're losing guys that hopefully they can replace. Yeah, and you know, the cap may not look great now, but. I think, you know, a lot of Ron Hextall's plan is still there. And I think Chuck Fletcher made some savvy moves, but he kind of knew, like, Braun's coming up on expiring contract and he won't be back, and that's money off your books. Yep. You know, that Gudis retained salaries coming off the books this year. You know, Matt Niskanen's only signed for another year. You know, JVR's contract wasn't seven years, it was five years. That's why we paid him a little bit more. You know, I think this team is structured to you're going to be able to keep all your players, all your young guys that you have to resign, and you're not going to have to move out bodies to do it. Now, they're not obviously not going to be players in free agency. Uh, unless Chuck is able to pull off some savvy trades, I don't think we're going to you know, acquire a goal scorer that everyone's been clamoring about. I just think you're going to, you're going to continue your in-house production, and I don't think they're really going to struggle to sign anyone. No, I don't think so either. He mentioned that they're not going to be big players in the free agency for the next couple of years. Um, you know, regard, yeah, me too. Regardless of the flat cap, I mean, the, the Flyers basically filled out their roster. Um, yeah, they they already made their free agent splash, and he's locked off for six more years. So, yep. free agency is not something you're looking to for a top six forward. Yeah, so now it's kind of like okay, let's fill out the roster with the young kids. Uh, I think he mentioned that they will explore trades. They're going to answer the phone or whatever. So. It's going to be interesting. I'm, everything he's done to this point, I'm talking about Chuck Fletcher, have been moves that I've agreed with. So now it kind of feels like, okay, is he still going to you know, play it safe and make the subtle moves, or is he going to shake something up here? You know, Because he sounded a little bit, he sounded disappointed in the, the way the team played 
defensively as a as a whole and I don't I don't know maybe I'm getting off topic a little bit there but it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think Chuck Fletcher he um he's a savvy guy and he's not afraid to make a splash. You know, you saw in Minnesota they they had a really good team in between like 2014 to 2017. I think had that Chicago dynasty not been in the way, they would have been one of the more dominant teams in the West. And every year he knew that they were competitive. He went out and signed a piece to fill a hole. You know, he signed Martin Hansel. You know, maybe paying a first-round pick wasn't great, but when you're a competing team, you're not really missing that first-round pick too much. Yeah. And I don't think as a Flyers organization, they're quite ready to start slinging first. But I think it's something Chuck wouldn't be afraid to do in terms of, you know, getting a rental for a playoff push because an important thing he brought up and something I really appreciate him saying was, you know, this is the first year you're in the playoffs, but you only get so many cracks at that. You don't know how many how many years you're going to be at the top of your division and you're going to be, you know, having a great goaltender. Your offense and defense look great. You don't know how many years of contention you really have until that window slams shut. And you have to take every opportunity. And, you know, they had a great opportunity this year. And I think that window is staying cracked open for another five years. And I don't think he's going to be scared to add a piece. You know, he's going to take a run at the cup every year. And I think it puts a lot of confidence in, for me, in Chuck Fletcher when, you know, I'm skeptical about a guy coming in that's taking over for a very conservative GM in Hextall. I think Fletcher is, uh, he's primed to make some moves. I definitely think he's going to explore some good trades, but, you know, don't expect to, to land Patrick Liney anytime soon. But I think the team's going to be real competitive and he's going to fill every hole we have. There's been a lot of that going around, right? I'm all game for it. I mean, if you want to talk about Patrick Liney, I'd love to get him on the Flyers. You know, I think the thing with most Flyers fans is, you know, they say they need a goal scorer. They need a guy that's going to create his own shots yeah. and put up goals. So there's two players that do that. There's Alex Ovechkin and there's David Pasternak. You, you can't trade for them. So you want this goal scorer. Where is he? You know, every, every guy that you draft, that's a goal scorer. That's why players like Dabrinkit and Caulfield slip because – if they're not good at what they do, that's all they, they can do. do much else, yeah. And I, I, I think you see that a little bit in Patrick Laine. You know, I was a big fan of his at the draft, but he has a ridiculous shot, but he hasn't looked as motivated every season. Now, I think he had a good year this year in Winnipeg, but how are you trading for a 22-year-old sniper who's going to want a big pay raise and he's gonna, presumably going to be one of your top players unless you're trading Phil Myers or Travis Sanheim Right. Ross and Farabee and first round picks and how are you going to resign him? Right. His con- I think his contract's up in a year or two and he's already making what, like six million, something like that? Yeah, something like that. So just that alone for me is like, I don't see how they're going to be able to bring him in without, you know, giving up, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to say they're going to move Konechny for him, but somebody making this equal amount of money or whatever, you know? Because um, here's the thing too. And I know it's Twitter, like everyone's on uh, doing the fantasy hockey trades and whatever. If you're trading for another team's good player, they're not going to want your scrap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they are not going to want no good defenseman this year, so they want one of your top defensemen. Yeah, and I I brought this up on a show the other night. If you're, let's say Winnipeg, for example, and you you're going to trade the Flyers, Patrick Line, the first guy at the top of your list I think would be a Travis Sanheim, Phil Myers, you know? I, I think the first guy on your list is Ivan Provorov and you go down from there. You know, if I'm, uh-huh. a, if I'm a Winnipeg fan and I'm trading you one of our top players like Kyle Connor, Patrick Laine, I'm yeah. s- and if I'm, I think it's Kevin Chaldeov is, is their GM, I think yep. you're asking, all right, I want Ivan. And then talks, will, I mean, obviously Chuck's going to hang up and then they'll revisit in a few days. And then it goes down to Sanheim or it goes down to Myers. And, um, yeah. you know, I'm, I don't think they're asking for Yorkers and Mula since they're not proven yet. But, yeah, they're starting at the top and they, they're not going to settle for Sanheim and Myers. They're going to want you to build on that package. You know, it's going right. to be tough to acquire a player like that. Exactly. I and think. If, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. I think a more realistic option, and I don't mean to get everyone's, you know, pants tight, is Johnny Gaudreau. I think if the Flyers made one trade for a guy, that could fit in the lineup that would be happy to resign in Philadelphia and would maybe take a little less money to stay there. That's Johnny Gaudreau, but Flyers fans would hate him after a year because he had, (laughs) he had 18 goals this season. He didn't show up in the playoffs. 
he ha- he looked a lot like Konechny this the 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 season Konechny had in the playoffs is how Gaudreau kind of looked during the season. You know, Gaudreau has only had two 30 goal seasons, and I think he he'd draw the ire of Philly fans pretty quick if he came here. I feel like you just read all my tweets on why I don't why I don't <laughs> want Johnny Gaudreau. So, and I I agree with that. So uh, Gaudreau is a fun player to watch during the regular season. Uh, fun fact: I went to the same high school as him. Graduated a couple years before him. Really? Yeah. Was that Gloucester? Yeah, Gloucester Catholic. Yeah. Yeah, I skated at Hollydale, whereas uh, his dad was the owner. That's right around the corner from me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great spot. Is that? I think it, they, I've heard so many rumors from people who like claim they're connected that you know Gaudreau is planning on coming to Philly and planning to you know take over the rink and all this uh, shit. There, there's so many connections to from Gaudreau to Philly. Interesting. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I, I heard some next Bobby Didge. <laughs> so that would be cool. I mean, uh, dude, I'm I'm not against bringing good hockey players to the Flyers. You know what I mean? If if they're good, like he's he's good. He scored 99 points in the National Hockey League. When was it? Last year? The year before? Uh, like last season? Like he's a good player. Uh I don't know. Playoffs are like a different animal. I think I saw he's got like eight goals, 11 assists in the playoffs. Isn't it something like that? It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's not terrible, but recency bias, it hasn't been that great. But I, something Chuck highlighted, small sample sizes, you know. Are you going to trade Konechny because he, 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 did, he didn't do too well in 13 games? You know, any player can go through weak streaks in 13 games. So you have to kind of extend the sample size a bit to, to really magnify these players. Yeah. I don't know. I heard some weird stuff about Goudreau, and I'm not going to repeat it because it was at a you know a bar, and somebody claimed that they were best buddies <laughs> with him. And I'm ever since then, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It was something are you, about. Are you, are you claiming weird rumors can happen at a bar? Yeah. <laughs> some, there was some dude I didn't even know, so I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to repeat this on the podcast here. <laughs> but it had to do something with he's he doesn't like playing in the playoffs because he's just he's not built for the playoffs. Everybody's so big, and they play a different style and. He would rather get in and get out, you know? It's frustrating for a small forward who, you know, relies on a lot of open space and to create offense to play in the playoffs. I, sure. I think you see that with every player under 5'9 or 5'10 who's not named Braden Point, that the playoffs are a tough place to play if you're a skilled player. You know, guys have game plans for you. They're zeroing in on you to make sure that you are as less effective as you can be, so... I could see it's frustrating. You know, I'm not gonna not gonna take the the uh, the the um, the idea from a guy who's probably you know eight Michelob Ultras in on a <laughs> yeah. opinion. But I to, I get I can see it. You know, I, I I can understand the frustration that Calgary has with Gaudreau in the playoffs. You know, you want to see your top guys perform, and you see it in Philly when Giroux's not performing in the playoffs or when Konechny isn't. You know, rumors start flying. Pessimism is a really strong animal. Yeah, it, it is for sure, and. I find it entertaining, man. When guys start throwing around names, I'm just like, okay, I can have fun with this. You know, who can I sneak in here? And I'm got the whole, why don't we just go for McKinnon? Why don't we just go for McDavid? Uh, you know, like your McKinnon thread was fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I lost some of the my comments mind. in there, yeah. I'm like, holy crap! Like some people think that you're serious, and I'm like, oh my god! Like, should I tell him or should I just play along? <laughs> like, yeah, why not? Let's it's play. hard to read sarcasm on Twitter, but man, it some is. of those people take it pretty seriously. Yeah, and I get that some of the people, some guys don't know who I am, so they don't know, they don't know what I, you know, how I am, which is fine. It's fun, I, you know, it's fun. And they're like, oh my God, you got me. Yeah, Twitter's a scary place, but, you know, let's, let's transition to something that's a lot more positive. So today at 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time or 8 o'clock Eastern Time, we found out that Sean Couturier is the first on-ice player to win an award for, uh, you know, for something that's on-ice production since Eric Lindros stayed in 95. So yeah. Sean Couturier is your Selkie winner in 2020. And what was your reaction to finding that out? Yeah, I was honestly surprised. You know, with the way these other awards panned out over here, the Limblom one, I can understand. The Masterton. Yeah, how do, how do you rate tragedy, you know? I know. Like, they're all, in my eyes, they're all winners. And I'm sure yeah. in their own eyes, they don't, I mean, I, they I overcame. don't think Oscar Limblom was losing sleep about not winning the Masterton. No way, dude. I mean, I can only assume. I mean, I, I had I, I've only had Crohn's disease, but any day after you get over what you've gone through is like bonus. Like everything's different now. Like not you have no bad days. You know what I mean? Yeah. So life's in a different perspective at that point. Right. So like his, you know, and he's going to win it next year, no doubt in my mind, Oscar Lindblom. Yeah, I think so. 
So I actually agreed with the way the NHL did it, you know, give it to Bobby Ryan. Cause that's, that's no joke either. That kind of stuff. Like, yeah, you know, people out there talking about, uh, Oh, he did it to himself. No, like he knows, he knows that, but he overcame it. That's even, you know, so anyway, I don't want to talk about that too much because we were talking about coots, but yeah, let's give a shout out real quick. You know, Bobby Ryan, what a story. Like, Oh my God. You know, you know, he's from Cherry Hill. (laughs) I've heard rumors (laughs) over the past 10 years that he might be local. But um, God, you know what a what a warrior to come back and score a fucking hat trick the way he did. For real, man. Yeah, I got I had goosebumps. I watched that game. Incredible story. I, I was happy that he got. I really I really was happy. Local guy. How can you not be happy for a guy like that? Everything he's gone through. Uh, have you had a chance to watch his his documentary? I think it's on YouTube. I hadn't. I also hadn't really read his um, his Players Tribune article, which uh, I heard was was uh, tearjerker. Yeah, I didn't get to read that either. I'm going to have to check that out. But he he deserves everything good that he, that comes his way. He deserves, man. He really does. So I was I was happy that he got it. Now, you know, now we have our own our own good uh, success story in the NHL awards. You know, we have we have a Selkie trophy winner that, you know, we haven't had since Bobby Clark in 19 oh, I don't want to piss off older Flyer fans. I'm sorry. I don't know the year. I, but. So I know Dave Poulin got one and Bobby Clark. They were the last two guys that won a Selkie for yeah. the Flyers. I want to say Poulin won in 83. Okay. Maybe. But uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic. I think it's well-deserved. I, I think the best part for me was I had a lot of doubt in my mind after Cassidy won the uh, the Jack Adams because was John Cooper even a nominee last year? John Cooper, you know, I can't remember. I'm sure he had to have been though, because the lightning—that was the lightning incredible regular season. Yes. So you know, Barry Trotz won last year because he took uh, a struggling Islanders team to the playoffs. I think. That's right, and it was first and, season, right? Yeah, and I don't. And he beat John Cooper, who had the best season since the Detroit Red Wings, and you know, wow. sixty-four fucking wins. And I think if you're not giving it to Cooper last year, why are you giving it to Cassidy this year? You know that that's on his his GM. I think you know GM. Yeah, you can give it to Don Sweeney. And I, I think you should highlight that. But I think Torts and AV had much better arguments. And, you know, biasly, sure, I'm giving it to AV. But, you know, if 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 Tortorella had put his team at a playoff spot when it ended, I'm giving it to Torts 100 percent. And I was really shocked to see that, you know, Cassidy was head over heels above above uh, Tortorella. And, you know, AV was a close second. But I thought they got that one wrong. And. Cassidy and AV were head and shoulders above Torts. You know, AV wasn't that far off from winning. So that was that oh, was kind of uh, blows my mind a little bit. Yeah, I, I didn't quite understand it, and that made me really nervous coming into today because I thought, you know, Bergeron's the popular name, and with everything shutting down, I think writers could just hand it over to Bergeron again. And I, I think the best thing for me was I was nervous coming in to see, you know if they were going to give Coots, if they were going to shaft him and say, you know, he's going to be in the running the next five, seven years. And, you know, he'll win it then. You know, let's get Berger on it because this is probably his last year of being a true dominant 1C. Maybe he has two or three left. But uh, Couturier won by a landslide. And that was really, really good to see. You know, he had 80 more first-place votes than number two for Bergeron. And that was just... Everyone was on the same page for him. And that really, really gave me some confidence in Coots. Like the league now recognizes him as one of, as the best two way player in hockey. I got to agree with you. I kind of got that same feeling. I was looking at stats a couple weeks ago. And if you're looking at just offensive stats and I know it's a defensive award, Coots's numbers kind of don't jump off the page as uh, compared to O'Reilly and Bergeron. I think Bergeron had 60 some points in 60 some games and like 30 plus goals which at his age, is that's pretty outstanding. I know he's playing with Pasternak and Marchand, uh, but to still you know, be where he is face-offs-wise and play like he does in a defensive zone and whatnot, it's impressive, man. Uh, O'Reilly coming off a Stanley Cup win, Consmyth Trophy win. What, what, what stat did they use for him? He had like 67 takeaways during the season and some other weird stat. I hadn't seen they, that, but I know he doesn't take a lot of minor penalties either. Okay, maybe that was the other one. That's more Lady Bing material than Selkie. But, I mean, that, yeah, it's good. You're not in the box a lot, so you're not putting your team Which is in. weird for a player like him because he's kind of like a rough dude, right? You'd think he, he sits in the box from time to time. Uh, he throws his body around. I, I love O'Reilly as a player. So do I, man. I wanted him really bad, but apparently locker room uh, cancer 
you know? <laughs> yeah, I believe Hextall made the comment that we didn't see any upgrades that we could have made when St. Louis got him for scraps. Too funny, man. Uh, and then Coots. Like they're, they're mentioning Coots, and the graphic that they show for Sean Couturier is led the Flyers forwards in ice time during the regular season. And I'm like, that's all you got for Coots? I'm like, he's definitely getting screwed. Oh, yeah, I'm you're like, not going to highlight that he was the top the top faceoff guy in the NHL. He was yeah. having another dominant uh, offensive season playing with a less talented Drew than he was last year. Like, the, the best you had for him is ice time. And no shit, your 1C is going to play a lot of minutes when he's playing power play and penalty kill. That's a kind of like it felt like a, like a like a slap in the face. Like, OK, we're going to give him the ward. But, you know, here's your uh, backhanded compliment, you know, like, eh, I don't know. It's something so small and petty because in the end he won the award. But it still bothered me a little bit. Like, this is all you could come up with for Coots. Um, yeah, finally gets to Selkie, right? And good. My, for weeks for me, it's been like Sean Couturier a star. Is Sean Couturier a star? Anybody who will answer, I'm asking him, you know. And I think once you win an award like this, you kind of put yourself on the map a little bit, right? That's a tough question to say is star because is Ryan O'Reilly a star to you? No. Yeah, and like Coots is a dominant player. He's an elite hockey player. But how would you categorize a star? I think a star is a guy who's putting up 90 to 100 points, and I think there's very few stars in the league. Yep. So I don't know if I put Coots in a star category, but I definitely he's an elite hockey player. He's, I'd, in my personal opinion, the best two-way player in hockey. So I'd, I'd put him in a great category, but I think it depends how, you're, how you view the word star. Yeah, and, and maybe it's not even a fair question. I think the reason I still ask it is because I'm more interested in the person's response. I don't, it doesn't matter to me that Sean Couturier is not a star, you know? Because we know that he's good. I love Coots. I'm just trying to get another perception. I want to hear what other people think of Sean Couturier because I know how I see him. You know, he's he's a Selkie Award winning tro- uh, centerman. You know, he's he's fantastic. I love watching him play. He does all the all the necessary things you need to win hockey games. Back to back thirty goal, uh, seventy plus point seasons. First time since John Leclerc in a Flyers uniform. Like that means something. You know. He's an outstanding player, absolutely deserved this award. And to win it the way he did in blowout fashion, shocked the hell out of me, man. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better. I, um, I've i been such a Coots fan since he was line mates with Zach Ronaldo and Matt Reed and still putting oh my God. decent enough numbers and, you know, adopting Evgeny Malkin as his son during that 2012 playoff <laughs> series where he absolutely shut down one of the most dominant players in hockey. Uh I, I've loved watching Coots come up. It took him a little bit to get his offense going, but once it did, he's incredibly consistent. You know, his numbers always look very similar. You know, he's always right around that 70-point plateau, and I think he was heading there again, you know, had the season uh, played out the full 82-game schedule. So I there's not much to say about Coots. You know, he's, he's the best forward on the team. He's, you know, you live and die with how he's playing. He brings it every night, and... Maybe he's not a star, but he's an elite hockey player and one that Philadelphia cherishes. I think he's going to come back next season with like a vengeance. I think I don't think he's happy with this playoff performance. And I wrote an article talking about how I think he kind of needs to take this team over a little bit. I know G's the captain. I know Voracek's like the voice in the locker room type thing. But I think you know this award kind of cements Coots as the top dog on the flyers now, you know, you know, you mentioned that who has that Mike Richards moment for this team. Who's it going to be? Well, who was it in 2017 when, you know, a guy has a torn MCL comes back, scores a hat trick two assists. And, you know, who was it when the flyers couldn't find offense that he, he put Nick Letty on a stretcher with the moves he made. And he made that goal happen by himself. And that was the only goal in that series that a singular player, well, for, for the flyers, at least, where a singular player made a goal happen. You know, yep. if anyone's giving you that Richards, it's Coots. You know, he's the guy. I think you're right, dude. And and I'm excited to see how he comes back. And like I mentioned, I think he's the type of guy who, even though he won this award, I think the playoffs are going to leave a bad taste in his mouth. And I could see him coming back next year, even after winning the award, even more motivated. You know, I'm excited because I think he's that kind of guy. Yeah, fucking right, brother. I mean, there's 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 nothing better than, you know, that that winning attitude. And I'd say Coots has that. And, you know, 
now that he has a selkie, you know, he, he, he's, he's not a guy that I think cares about personal awards or individual trophies. I think he's a team guy, you know, in that speech he made when Ron Francis announced that he was the winner, you know, he mentioned his teammates three times and never mentioned himself. You know, he wants this team to win. And I think losing in the playoffs the way they did and not having the best game seven is going to put a sour taste in his mouth. And Coots is not the guy that you want having a sour taste in your mouth if you're the opposition looking down the ice because he's going to make you eat it. Yep. I'm, I'm getting excited already and hockey just ended. You know, we still got a couple more months here. I'm getting stoked. I think you're right, dude. Yeah, we're ready to go here. And I think talking about Coots and winning the Selkie is a really positive note to end it on. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, we can't we, really get any more positive. Yeah, we covered a lot here. And, you know, we finally have a tro- uh, award-winning center and, you know, something to look forward to in this lineup. Uh, Jim, do you have anything else before we uh, head off here? No, I mean, uh, check out High and Wide. We released that on Wednesday. Check out HW with Derek Settlemeyer. Came out today. Shit, I'm forgetting what day it is. <laughs> we got Full Circle coming out Monday. And we have a couple articles coming out, a couple new contributors. So be on the lookout for articles, hwhockey.net, guys. Well, for Mr. High and Wide himself, Jim, and me, my name is Joshua Bright. Thank you guys so much for tuning into The Bright Side, and we will see you next Friday. Go Flyers. Thank you.